hammock poem. With his bushy tail, he'll scamper up a tree, the most cheerful critter you'll ever see. He's nuts about nuts, and he loves to chat. Have you ever seen a squirrel like that? Now you have to clap. Clap for me, yes. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 258. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Frillman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work but with one Samantha Har. That's me. Joined by, joined with, joined by, joined by is correct. You think two, 258 episodes, I'd get it right. But in this episode, we're going to be doing our release notes episode for Modern Horizons 2. If you remember last time, we talked about the mechanics that had come out to date. And that was about 32, 33 mechanics. They came out with some more. Like, basically, after we recorded, finished recording, they were like, here's the full spoiler. Blah. And they dropped about, like, another 10 on us. The more the merrier. In this episode, we're going to talk about really one mechanic that's on a that's on a few cards, and then we're just going to go straight into the card-specific notes. And there are many, many, many. Let's let's talk real quick about ability words, because there are several ability words in this set. When you look at a card that has an ability word, you can tell because that ability word is normally in italics, much like the first mechanic that we're going to talk about. They don't have any rules text associated with them. You know, you could remove that ability word and the card works exactly the same as it does. They're just kind of there to provide like a handle or a group that you might not have noticed things are similar. Like Magecraft is an ability word. All the cards are things that trigger off of when you cast or copy a spell, but all the effects are different, but they're all linked. Ability words are like foreshadowing for whatever you're about to read. Yeah, they are. So do you want to tackle our ability word then? Sure, let's look at Converge. So we have coming up Radiant Epicure for four and a black. It's a creature vampire wizard with Converge. Um, Converge, when Radiant Epicure enters the battlefield, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast this spell. Cool. So Converge, the ability word just means it just cares about the colors used to cast the spell. It's just a hint that you're going to have to pay attention to that. The max number of colors you can spend to cast a spell is five, as we all know. Colorless is not a color. I like I like how autocorrect fixed that word. The it's, coolness. Yeah, instead of color. Coolness is not a color, which is true. Coolness is not a color. All right, so you can't spend more mana than the spell costs. However, hmm? if an ability makes you pay one more to cast the spell, you might be able to sneak an extra color in there, so... Tricky, tricky. If you paid additional or or alternative costs, you use those to determine the color spent to pay for the spell. If you copy a spell with Converge, you didn't spend any mana to cast it, so that is zero. So that is not copied over from the original spell. So if I somehow copy the Radiant Epicure while it's on the stack and then make make a token... I will just have a 5-5 body, but the Converge trigger won't do anything. Correct. Each opponent's going to lose zero life. I'm going to gain zero life and be sad face. We're just going to watch it happen. Yeah. 
All that nothing. All that nothing. Speaking of all that nothing, let's let's all that start. somethings. Yeah, all those those lots of somethings. Okay, so we're gonna talk about specific cards now. Uh, we're gonna start with a, oh, let's let's talk real quick how we picked these cards. I wish I could say that I had like a super complicated formula we're going through and reviewing these. Basically, used two criteria, two sets of criteria. One, how complicated the ability is. And then two, if it's something that generates common questions, or if we'd seen a lot of uh, people in Facebook groups and stuff like that asking about particular card interactions, then we might include the card. So we go down the release notes and go, huh, that's neat. Huh, that's neat. Yeah. Huh, that's neat. And then sometimes, sometimes we look at it and go like, huh, that has a lot of bullets. And then we read them and they're like, oh, all of these bullets are just how to do suspend. So we already talked about Suspend, so next. But here's a card, Academy Manufactor, which has some interesting interesting stuff. It is a 3-mana 1-3 artifact creature assembly dash worker. So if you were to have, oh, say, a Mishra's Factory, you could pump it. Um, it has an ability that says, if you would create a clue, food, or treasure token, instead create one of each. So, if you would create three treasure tokens, like an ability says, you know, get a treasure token for each untapped land your opponents have or something like that. If you would create three treasure tokens, you're going to instead create three treasure tokens, three clued tokens, three food tokens. So, you end up getting all sorts of goodness. Now, the way replacement effects work, each replacement effect can only apply once. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. If I were to have two Academy Manufactors out, and I create a clue. The I get to choose which replacement effect I get to apply first. Okay, so I'm going to pick Academy Manufactor 1, and I'm going to say, okay, so my clue is going to become a clue of food and a treasure. Academy Manufactor 2 is going to see that I'm creating a clue, creating a food, and creating a treasure, and then its replacement effect is going to, not trigger, but its replacement effect is going to apply to each of those. Boom, boom, boom. pop off. Yes. Now, that's happened. I don't... The first Academy Manufactor doesn't go, Oh, you're creating some clues and foods and treasures, so let me create more. It doesn't generate that infinite infinite loop. We already, already took care of... We already took care of the first Academy Manufactor. So, if I have the two of them out, my Academy Manufactor is going... Oh, sorry. If I have both Academy Manufactors out and I create a single clue token, I am going to get, ultimately, three clues, three foods, three treasures. All right. The final point on this card is, while investigating creates a clue token, creating a clue token is not investigating. So cards that care about whenever you investigate don't care about you creating a clue token with the Academy Manufacturer's ability. So if you make a food token and, hey, I got a clue, that's not investigating. Okay. That's it? Yep. All right. Next up, we have Altar of the Goyf. Altar of the Goyf is five generic for a tribal artifact, Lurgoyf. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gets plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of card types among cards in all graveyards. Lurgoyf creatures you control have trample. So yeah, let's um, remind ourselves what it means to quote-unquote attack alone. 
What that means is that the creature was the only creature declared as an attacker during that turn-based action. So if something comes into the battlefield like tapped and attacking as part of an ability, that doesn't count. You have to declare it at, and as an attacker at the correct time for that to do what you want it to do. If you somehow make Altar of the Goyf a creature and it keeps its type, it will give itself trample. Fun little bonus there. Um, okay. And let's remember what types are. So in this instance, the types here are tribal and artifact. So you don't want to go so far left that you end up in a super type, but you don't want to go too far right to where you end up in subtypes right. like Lurgoyf. Right, but it cares about uh, the card types that are in all graveyards. So creature, right. artifacts, lands, those things in your graveyard are going to be counted up. Just like our buddy Tarmogoyf. We remember him. Yes. I mean, we we have to. There's an altar for it. Adorable. It is. All right. The next card is Arcbound Slasher. This one we're going to talk about because we forgot one of the, or rather they hadn't spoiled one of the mechanics yet when we recorded. For four and a red, it is an artifact creature cat. Huh. I love this card. You love it? <laughs> I love it. So it's modular four. This creature enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it, and when it dies, you may put its plus one plus one counters on target artifact creature, but it also has Riot, which <laughs> we missed. Uh, so Riot is a replacement effect. What it means is, is this creature enters the battlefield with your choice of an additional plus one plus one counter or haste. Okay, so Riot is a replacement effect. It happens as the creature enters the battlefield and can't be responded to by the opponent. Okay, so Arcbond Slasher's on the stack. When it goes to resolve, that's when you decide to give it the counter or give it haste. If a creature with Riot is entering the battlefield and for whatever reason it can't have counters put on it, well, you can't make that choice, so it's got to have haste. And here's a neat thing. If you choose to give it haste with Riot... The haste is, is permanent. It doesn't go away at the end of turn. If someone else gains control of it, it's got haste. It's just, it just got haste. I think that's the right choice. I think haste is the way to go. And now, with the next card, we discover why I asked uh, Sama if she wanted to start with Converge. <laughs> What's the next <laughs> card, Sama? You set me up for this. I did. Oh, okay. Thanks a lot. Here we go. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> Looking ahead, I'm okay. playing the long game. <laughs> That's why you're the L3. <laughs> All right. Asmorano Marticatus Tenaculadar? Maybe she could just be Asmora? It's close enough. Asmora. Asmorano Marticadisticanaculdicar? So, Asmora here is a legendary creature human wizard. As long as you... So, no... No just normal mana cost up here. No no normal cost. So as long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay hybrid black-red to cast this spell. When Asmora enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Then another ability, sacrifice two foods, colon. Target creature deals six damage to itself. A lot going on there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so the target creature of the last ability is the source of the damage. So if it's got death touch or lifelink or protection, um, those things will matter. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. 
Um, as Mora has no mana cost and its mana value is zero. So there, there's no way to cast this normally. Um, so you, you need to find a way to cast it, you know, an alternate way to cast it. All right. All right. I guess you could, you could cascade into it or discard the card or a few other oh, things. True. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, gotta get clever. Yeah. In the release notes, the actual release notes, the writers seemed to take great pleasure in using their name as often as possible in the, in the, <laughs> in the write-up that's kind of cool okay uh blessed respite this one is one in a green for an instant that says target player shuffles their graveyard into their library prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn now this isn't really that complicated of a card except this will cause a player to shuffle even if there's no cards in the graveyard so if this gets played early as just a strict fog effect you know the question is, you know, I don't have a I don't have a graveyard. Do I still got a shuffle? The answer is yes. And if you target yourself, because you are you are using this as a fog effect on on your turn, the shuffle happens while the blessed respite is still on the stack. You shuffle, shuffle the graveyard in the library, and then blessed respite is going to end up the only card in your graveyard. Normally speaking. So something I think is kind of interesting about this card is that Pokemon actually used to have a card sort of similar to this that they had to ban called Lysander's Trump Card because it was just making the games go on for far too long. (laughs) Not because it was necessarily too good, just because games would take forever because people kept shuffling all their stuff back into their decks. So Is that good in Pokemon? Is that what you called it? Pokemon? Pokemans. um, Pokemans? Good or bad, it just... All, all the Pokemon professors were just sitting around looking at their watches and tapping their toes and going, come on, let's go, let's go. And, you know, uh, gotta gotta put the hustle on them. So no more of that. I'm trying to think of a pun, but I can't. So we'll just go on to the next card. <laughs> next up, we have Bloodbraid Marauder for one and a red creature, human berserker. It's a 3-1. Bloodbraid Marauder can't block. Cool. Delirium. This spell has Cascade as long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. And I think we've touched on Cascade mm-hmm. previously, so that should be familiar. So the Delirium is checked the moment you finish casting Bloodbraid Marauder. To get real technical, it can gain or lose Cascade through the casting process, but since Cascade checks on the completion of casting, that's the time that it matters. Um, The Cascaded Into card will resolve before Bloodbraid Marauder, of course. Um, Due to a recent change in rules um, on Cascade, not only do you stop exiling cards if you exile a non-land card with lesser mana value than the spell with Cascade, but the resulting spell you cast must also have lesser mana value. Previously, in cases where a card's mana value differed from the resulting spell, such as with some modal double-faced cards, or cards with an adventure... You could cast a spell with a higher mana value than the exiled card, and everyone said it was too good, and booed it, and thumbs down. No more of that. <laughs> no more of that value. So, one last note on Blood, Blood Braid Marauder. The mana value of a split card is determined by the combined mana cost of its two halves. If Cascade allows you to cast a split card, you may cast either half, but not both halves. Don't get greedy. Yeah, seems yeah. that way. All right, next card is Break the Ice. It's a callback to Sinkhole for Black Black. It's a sorcery that says destroy target land that is snow 
or could produce colorless with an overload of four black black, so it can destroy all lands that are snow or could produce colorless. So (laughs) what does it mean if a land could produce colorless? This is kind of one of the finicky rules bits where it talks about like if a land could produce green or if a land could produce black. What that means is you ignore the activation costs, but you include any replacement effects. So if a land said, let's just create a fictitious card here. Actually, I don't have to. I have examples written down. So there's a card called uh, Boseju, who shelters all, and it requires a tap and a life payment to generate colorless. Uh, You have to tap it and pay, I think, three life. So if I have two life, I can't activate Boseju, but Break the Ice could still destroy it. Even though it can't technically produce colorless because I can't tap it and activate it, or rather I can't tap it and activate it to produce the colorless, it can still produce colorless. So it would be destroyed. However, if I have a Gemstone Cavern on it with a luck counter, so Gemstone Gemstone Cavern says... If Gemstone Cavern is in your opening hand and you're not the starting player, you may begin the game with a gems, uh, with Gemstone Caverns on the battlefield with a luck counter on it. If you do, exile a card from your hand. And then it says tap, add colorless. If Gemstone Caverns has a luck counter on it, instead add one mana of any color. So if Gemstone Cavern has a luck counter on it, it does not produce colorless. It produces colored mana, so break the ice can't destroy it. Yep. Safe. All right. Didn't think there was a lot of rule stuff to that card, did you? Yep. Get God. All right. <laughs> All right, next up we have Capricrome. And when I initially read what this card does, I was like, ha, that sounds like a goat. And funny enough, it is a goat. Capricrome for three and a white is an artifact creature goat. It has flash. It has vigilance. It has devour artifact one, which means as this enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice any number of artifacts. This creature enters the battlefield with that many plus one, plus one counters on it. So it's it's a two-two. So just imagine a little goat eating tin cans and getting progressively chubbier. (laughs) Devour artifact is a variant of the devour ability that allows you to sack artifacts instead of creatures. You may choose not to sack any artifacts. So the devouring is part of the spell resolution, so the opponent can't see what you are devouring and respond. Um, If Capricrome ETBs with multiple artifacts, you can't devour any of them. You do have to pick from ones that already exist on the battlefield. All right, cool. Next up is Captain Ripley Vance uh, for two and a red. They're a 3-2 legendary creature human pirate that says whenever you cast your third spell each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Captain Ripley Vance. Then it deals damage equal to its power to any target. Ripley Vance doesn't need to be on the battlefield for the first two spells that are cast. However, you really don't want Captain Ripley Vance to be your third spell. Or, or your fourth one that you cast in a turn because, well, this this when you cast them, they're not on the battlefield yet for the triggered ability to see the fact that you just cast your third spell. So that would be bad. Captain Ripley Vance counts spells even if they're countered. Okay, cool. And then copying spells, Captain Ripley Vance is a pirate of action. 
you know, all about, you know, deeds, not words. And so copying spells, that doesn't, that doesn't interest Captain Ripley Vance at all. Not, not good, good enough. enough. We're talking cast, cast or go home. All right. So you know you know things about EDH. Um, I know it's it's mono red. Is this going to be a good commander? No. It it kind of no. it kind of looks like cool. No. I don't know. Should I build Absolutely a commander deck not. with this? So here oh, here's why. Uh, and here here's my th- here's my Breaking thought process. My heart. First off, this is a commander that really wants you to cast a lot of spells on each turn, and it's mono red. Can't I just find different ways to cast lightning I mean, bolts you, multiple times? Yeah, you can. <laughs> You're probably going to run out of gas. Now, yeah, yeah that's just eh. now. Dash now you could probably make a like a constructed tech where it's just a a whole slew of all those uh, cheap red pump spells where it's like you know. Target creature gets, you know, plus four, plus oh, like fist of the anvil and stuff like that, where you just pay a bunch of pay a bunch of cheap, you know, plus three, plus three. And because didn't they make a red giant growth? So you give it like giant growth and fist of the anvil and stuff like that. And you could probably get them up pretty to like 10 power on the third spell. Um, But oh, no, this is I want this card to be good. It's hang on. So you, you got me thinking, and here's another rules thing. If that third spell is a giant growth, okay, so you cast, you cast, you know, a lightning bolt, you cast a shock, and then the third spell that you cast is the giant growth, this trigger is going to go on the stack before the giant growth resolves. So you're going right. to get the counter, and then it's going to deal damage equal to its power, and then it's going to get the plus three, plus three. So... If you do that kind of thing, just uh, just keep that in mind. Make sure you get the time yeah. just right. All right. Well, part party on, Sama. Party on is it, is it my turn for yeah. Karth the Lion? Oh gosh, this is the one that messed me up earlier. All right, Karth the Lion, two a black and a green for a legendary creature, human warrior, three five. Whenever Karth the Lion enters the battlefield or a planeswalker you control dies. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a Planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any, or sorry, in random order. Um, And here's a really cool trick. Planeswalker's loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one to activate. I've never seen the the little loyalty plus one symbol like printed on a card like that before. That's neat. Yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit of pause. So, Yeah. It's weird to think of a loyalty ability as a cost, but it is one. Um, so this shifts the cost up, each cost up by one. Um, if you somehow have two carts, the effects are cumulative, so you get plus two. Plus two to the cost. Um, total cost of Planeswalker loyalty abilities is just like casting a spell. You determine the total costs, and then you pay it. Okay. Um, some things to keep in mind, some little examples. Vorinclex says... If you would put more, put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. This replacement effect would be applied once the, once to the total cost at the time it is paid. Right. So let's, um, uh, uh, and I might have actually gotten the Vorinclex text. Uh, Vorinclex. Let me check here. Vorinclex Monster Raider. It's, uh, yeah, if you would, if you would put one or more. So... 
what this is basically going to do is this last one is you're going to figure out the total cost and you're going to take into account carts plus one. So if something is minus four, normally it's going to be minus three. If it's plus two, normally it's going to be plus three. If it's plus zero, normally it's going to be plus one. That's the cost. Then when it comes time, then you, when you pay the cost, Vorinclex's replacement effect is going to kick in and change what you did, what you do. Okay. So, so, so conversely, um, something that doesn't work in that way is doubling season. Um, doubling season doesn't interact with this because doubling season cares about effects, not paying costs. If an effect would put more, put one or more counters on a permanent you control, it puts twice that many of those counters on that permanent instead. And yeah, the the real the real thing to look out for here is the word effect. Right. Unfortunately, it does right. not work. It's when you're paying when you're paying costs. Uh, that's not an effect is causing you to put counters on, which is different than when the planeswalker enters the battlefield. That is an effect that's putting the counters on the planeswalker but paying the loyalty abilities is a cost not an effect this i love this card i love this card so much i want so many of these and by so many of these i mean yeah i mean so many of these like well if you mean squirrels then you're in luck oh no no, no, i was talking about karth yeah oh okay oh yeah yeah i was like you're about to have so many of those i have i have other feelings about chatterfang (laughs) Realistically, I understand that there's a squirrel theme in this set, and there's a lot of people that that really enjoy it. I'm grumpy old man. I'm like, eh, eh. Okay, fine. It's squirrels, I guess. Well, don't use them. I know, I know. (laughs) No, I mean, it's kind of fun. There was a commander game a long time ago, like in another lifetime, like 10 years ago. This guy brought a duffel bag of squirrel beanie babies and whenever he created a squirrel token, he would just go into the the duffel bag and put another squirrel beanie baby on the table. And I've that got a, rules that absolutely slaps. We need and to I've bring got a, that. I've got a required. picture of him just sitting with like a moat of squirrel beanie babies <laughs> around him, and then the player sitting next to him, who's kind of been crowded out by all of these squirrels, has just this is just looking at them with this face of. Not quite disgust, not quite revolt, like a little bit of disgust, a little bit of confusion, and a whole lot of like, why isn't your turn done yet? <laughs> so, I feel like we ought to bring that back, and you got to specifically use beanie babies because maybe we can like revive the beanie baby market by well, let's see, well, let's, just through through our chatter thing. Squirrel beanie babies, how much Dex. squirrel beanie babies are? Here we are, live on the live on the air, recording, no edits. Squirrel beanie babies is. What is what is the Beanie Baby's name? Uh, there is a Squirrel Beanie Baby. You can get them for eighty one cents on Etsy. What is this? Oh no, it's just hold on. Oh, it's that's just a the, deal, it's, friend. It's that just, is a deal. It's just the tag of the Beanie Baby. <laughs> okay, let's be clear though that his name is nuts. Is it Beanie Baby nuts? <laughs> yeah. So you can get them for five dollars each. So you can buy a lot of nuts on Etsy. <laughs> uh, that you can. I'm gonna. I I need to purchase a lot of nuts <laughs> on eBay. Oh wait, hold on. They got they got oh nuts. They got nuts all the way from three dollars to 
$1,700. What yeah. a deal. There's apparently an error on its tag. Nobody tell what Logan Paul. Is that? All right. So let's enough enough talking about Beanie Babies. Yes. Uh, welcome to Beanie Baby Cast. I'm your host, Brian Perlman, joined with by Samahar. Uh, all right. Chatterfang. But most importantly, Chatterfang Squirrel General for two and a green is a 3-3 legendary creature squirrel wizard or warrior. Squirrel warrior. Squirrel wizard is kind of cooler, though. Squirrel. Has forest walk. Okay. Also has if one or more tokens would be created under your control. Those tokens plus that many 1-1 green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. So this one, uh... This would be pretty good with our old friend Academy Manufactor, but uh, the second ability... Oh, there's a, sorry, there's a third ability, which is for black and sacrifice X squirrels. Jeez. Target creature gets plus X, minus X until end of turn. All right. Uh, the second ability, which is the complicated one, is an effect that applies to any type of token. Clue, food, creature, you know, whatever type of token. As a reminder... Emblems are not tokens, even though you might get an emblem in the token slot of your pack. Now, also, the additional squirrel tokens won't have any of the abilities that the other tokens were created with. Okay, however, anything that's specified in the effect creating the token, such as um, it puts it into puts it into play tapped, attacking, that token gains haste, exile that token at the end of combat. All of that's going to apply to both the original token and the squirrels that get created. Okay? You don't... Now, the effect says if one or more tokens would be created under your control, you don't need to control the spell or ability that creates the tokens. You just have to be the one creating the tokens. So, for example, a recent card is uh, Clackbridge Troll from uh, Eldrine. It's a shocker. It's a troll that has the ability that says when Clackbridge Troll enters the battlefield, target opponent creates three zero one white goat creature tokens. So Sama has Chatterfang. I drop a Clackbridge Troll. It's my effect telling Sama to create zero one white goat creature tokens. So she's going to make goats and squirrels. Okay. Goats and squirrels and goats and squirrels. <laughs> goats and squirrels. Right. Okay, if an effect, okay, I'm gonna this I'm gonna I'm gonna read two sentences and they're gonna sound almost identical, but they're I'm gonna try and emphasize how they're different. If an effect changes whose control a token would be created, that effect applies before Chatterfang's effect applies. If an effect changes under whose control a token would enter the battlefield, that effect applies after Chatterfang's ability. Um, this is... Re- oh, this is so obscure. The cards in question, or the, the difference between the cards, are things like Gather Specimens, which says, you know, if a creature... I'm trying to remember this. If a creature would enter the battlefield under opponent's control, it enters the battlefield under your control instead. So that's Gather Specimens. And then there's a card called Crafty Cut Cat Purse... Or cut purse, rather. Crafty cat purse. Crafty <laughs> crafty cut purse that's if another player would create a token, you create it instead. Real finicky, but those two wordings would control how Chatterfang's effect applies. Big difference yeah, in Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, there's cards that slice it that fine with respect to control changing and token creation. But what you gonna do? Oh, look, it's another card by our favorite chef. Asmora. <laughs> Asmora. Oh, God, that name. Okay. Chef's Kiss. One red red for an instant. Gain control of target spell that targets only a single permanent or player. Copy it, then reselect the targets at random for the spell and the copy. The new targets can't be you or a permanent you control. So Chef's Kiss can target any spell that targets a single permanent or player, even one you cast. If there are any legal targets that are not you or permanents you control, you must reselect the targets at random. Now, how, how one selects targets at random, I don't know. I may need some good tips yeah. on doing that. Dice, you know, re- realistically, this shouldn't be too bad because it should be like target creature, and you've only got like three or four creatures out. I don't know, just fi- figure it out yourself. Probably if you're playing Chef's Kiss, you've already worked out a system. Yeah, get it figured out. Go in with a plan. Go in with a strategy. Yep. Um, if there are no legal targets, the original targets remain unchanged. You can also get into a weird situation where gaining control of the spell changes what it can target. For example, if an opponent casts a spell that says target creature you control gets three plus one plus one counters on it and you gain control of it, you can't change the targets and the spell will be removed from the stack when it tries to resolve because it's now targeting a creature you don't control. Just just to highlight, I cast a spell that says target creature you control gets three plus one plus one counters on it. Okay. So my creature, it is a target creature I control. When you gain control of that spell, it's now target creature you control. But you can't change the targets to any targets that you control because that's the restriction on Chef's Kiss. Since you can't target anything you control, the spell stays targeting the original creatures, but now that's an illegal, that's a air quotes illegal target for the spell, and it just gets removed from the stack. Against the law. If a spell has multiple instances for the word target, but all of them target the same permanent or player, it's a legal target for Chef's Kiss. In this case, a new target will be reselected at random for each instance of the word target in its rules text, even if they started off all the same. So it looks like Seeds of Strength is an example of this. It's a green and a white for an instant. Target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So even if all those start targeting the same creature, once once we chef's kiss it, you would you would randomly select a new target for each of those three instances. Or sorry, yeah. If you cast seeds of strength with all three instances of target creature targeting the same creature, you can chef's kiss that. Chef's kiss them. Yeah. All right. Damn, well, damn, that card was a little more complicated than I expected. So here's another one. It's damn. I wonder if I have to tag this now on on iTunes. Well, darn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> heck. Um, <laughs> Gosh, diddly darn. Oh, uh, darn it. Okay, darn it all to heck. Dag nabbit. <laughs> so damn is for black, black, destroy target creature, a creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. Overload is too white, white, and that will replace replacing all instances of the word target with each. So it would destroy each creature. So it's basically Wrath of God if you if you overload it. 
Now, if you pay the overload cost for the spell, it won't have any targets, so it's not affected. It will it will affect permanence with things like hexproof or shroud or protection. Overload, as a reminder, doesn't change the timing of when you could cast the spell, so damn is a sorcery, so you still have to cast it at sorcery speed. And it doesn't change the mana cost or mana value of the spell. It's still two. All right. Um, and then a reminder, if you are instructed to cast a spell without paying its mana cost, you cannot choose to overload it. Ooh, you get the best card in the set. All right, next on the list. You've, you've set me up. I can't believe What? <laughs> okay. Douthy Voidwalker. Black, black. Creature, Douthy Rogue. It's a 3-2. All right, so it's got shadow, which means this creature can block or be blocked by only creatures with shadow. If a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it. And then tap and sacrifice Douthy Voidwalker, colon, choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You may play, you may play it this turn without paying its mana cost. So... All that going on. Shadow is a blocking restriction, so if the creature has multiple evasion abilities, you have to satisfy all the restrictions in order to block. So if um, it's got shadow and flying, you gotta you, the, your blocker's right. got to have shadow and flying or shadow and reach. Got to make it make sense with all the restrictions. Um, if I have to discard a card while you control Douthy Voidwalker, I'm still discarding. So spells that spells and effects that care about when you discard a card, you discarded a card. Yep. You did. You did it. Done did it. Next, we're, we we got to go over how this works with madness. Um, yeah. And frankly, I have no idea. Okay. What is what is madness? That that's what I was trying to figure out before. Yeah. Okay. So with madness, it's kind of similar to the way it's going right now. So if you if you discard the card, the card gets uh the card gets exiled. Okay. Because this says this says if a card would be put into an, a grave, uh, an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it. So that's a replacement effect. But then we also have the madness, which is a replacement effect. So you're probably going to choose to exile it, okay, for madness, and then you choose to cast it, okay, cool, it's casting it, or you choose not to cast it, and it's going to go to the graveyard either from the resolving spell or from discarding. Then when you do, it goes into exile. Um, now, if you remember, we talked last episode for cycling. Well, we said that cycling triggered from the graveyard, or really it cycled, it, it triggered from wherever the card ended up. So if I cycle, if I cycle a card and it's, you know, whenever you cycle this car, you know, whenever you cycle this, search for the library for a land, going back to our Cross and Tusker example, it's going to end up in exile, but you're still going to get the trigger. It'll just be triggering from exile. It doesn't see it as a completely new object, as one might expect. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it trigger it triggers from there and is able to see that it was it was cycled. Yes, right. All right. So things can't quote unquote die while Voidwalker is on the battlefield because die means to put into the graveyard from the battlefield. Um, notably, tokens still die with Voidwalker because Voidwalker only cares about cards, and tokens aren't cards. They are simply figments of our imagination. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Yet they don't exist. <laughs> so, well, so the way I figured that out, the way I actually learned that that was a rule, because I watched someone, I think Eric Aliff and I watched someone with our eyeballs shuffle a stack of tokens into their deck. Yeah, that's, that <gasps> is actually when you do deck checks, um, if someone has shuffled tokens into their deck, 
Uh, tokens are not cards, so thank goodness you don't, you don't have a sixty-one card deck because you've got an elf. And there's even been things like, what if it's one of the elves from the the elves versus goblin dual deck? You know, those tokens have regular magic backs. Get, yeah, get out, yeah, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> All right, timing on casting the spell with Voidwalker. You time it the way you have to time it. You don't get any special. Any special ways out of that, you do have to follow all the timing restrictions still. Um, When casting, you must pay required additional costs, and you can pay optional additional costs. You may not pay alternate costs. Yeah, because you're getting to play it without without paying its mana cost. Yeah, so with regard to the timing restriction, if you sack Dothy Voidwalker on your opponent's turn, you're limited to just casting instants. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah, another another neat thing is that Dothy Voidwalker cares about cards that have been exiled with void counters on it, not cards that it exiled with a void counter on it. If you exile a few cards and then Dothy Voidwalker dies, and another Dothy Voidwalker uh, comes into play, it can see all those other exiled cards with uh, with the void counters on them. So that's pretty cool. Yup. You don't lose all your hard work. So I'm going to talk about probably the card with that I consider the most cleverly named card in this set. It is Dermotaxi instead of Taxidermy. Oh, I get it. Yep, all right. Oh, I see, all right. It is two mana for an artifact vehicle. It's a zero zero that has imprint. As Dermotaxi enters the battlefield, exile a creature card from a graveyard. Then you can tap two untapped creatures you control. Until end of turn, Dermotaxi becomes a copy of the exiled card, except it's a vehicle artifact in addition to its other types. All right. So imprint with imprint, exiling the card is a replacement effect, not a triggered ability. Your opponent cannot respond to that. So when Dermotaxi starts to resolve, you're going to exile a creature card and the, the opponent can't go like, oh, I, I want to remove it from my graveyard in response. Nope. The imprint ability is, a linked, is linked to the vehicle's animation ability. This means um, the second ability only refers to the card exiled. If, if Even if Dermotaxi later becomes a copy of something else and that copy has the ability to exile other cards, okay? Like if Dermotaxi somehow becomes a copy of Dothy Voidwalker briefly and then some some cards get exiled, when it goes back to being its Dermotaxi, the, the, the vehicle effect can't see the cards while it was a Dermo Voidwalker. However, If you activate the second ability and the exiled card, the card that you exiled with the imprint ability is no longer there, Dermotaxi doesn't become a copy of anything. It's specifically looking to become a copy of the the card that was exiled with the imprint ability, and if it's not there, mm. Now, here's another thing. You'll notice this ability doesn't actually say crew, okay? You're not crewing a vehicle when you use this ability. And I think that's because... The crew ability doesn't have room in the rules to link to another ability. Okay. That, mo- that would make sense. So they had to write out an effect that's like crewing, but not quite, so that it could refer to the exile card with imprint. All right. 
And then finally, as a strategic thing, we don't talk about strategic things very often, but if you are imprinting a card, a creature card that has an enters the battlefield trigger or an enters the battlefield replacement effect, when you crew, air quotes, crew your Dermo Taxi, you're not going to get, the, the creature's not entering the battlefield. You don't get those replacement effects. You don't get those triggers. Just a copy. Yep. Ooh, you get one of the the, the fun new judge cards. And by judge card. Is it? Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, we we love uh, humility, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. All right. So next up, we have Dress Down for one and a blue for an enchantment. Now, this blue enchantment, um, it has flash. When Dress Down enters the battlefield, draw a card. Creatures lose all abilities. There's the spiciness. And at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice Dress Down. So Blue has had instants like this before, so why is this an enchantment? What is different? Um, An instant would affect only creatures on the battlefield when it resolves. So this this affects creatures that enter the battlefield after it resolves, which is a key difference. So you can cast in response to a creature card on the stack that has an ETB trigger, and then its ability won't exist on the battlefield. So That's pretty cool. Very cool. Yep. I mean, wait, blue cards aren't cool. No, boo. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're, uh, you're mono red. Mono red. Um, all right, let's see. If an effect grants a creature an ability after Dressed Down has entered the battlefield, it won't lose that ability. So if a land is animated and becomes a creature, it will have any abilities that animated it. It will lose any abilities it already had. So an animated Mistress Factory will be a 2-2, but won't have the... Um, tap target assembly worker creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn because it already had that yeah the second it becomes a creature it loses it yeah right okay so we are judges and we want to animate this enchantment what happens um it will lose its own ability along with all the other creatures this includes the sacrifice trigger yeah Hmm. Hmm. did you did you mention that when you read the card that it had the trigger the sacrifice trigger when you were reading the card text did i i don't yeah okay yeah okay yeah. I can read. I'm from Tennessee, but I can I, read. No, nah, it's just I didn't remember after creatures lose all abilities. Um, no, nah, maybe we did. I don't know. I got too excited. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this thing's a creature. It loses all abilities. So does everything else. And it, it it loses its own ability to sacrifice itself. So it's going to stick around. It gets to stick around for a little bit. Um, now, if you were to somehow, if you're somehow able to skip that last trigger by ending your turn early... It's still going to trigger next end step, so there's no getting out of it completely if it if it is itself. Yeah. So if you turn it if you turn it into a creature, it'll lose the ability to sacrifice it. But at any point, it stops being a creature and starts becoming an enchantment again. The next end step, you're gonna have to sacrifice it. This card constantly is checking. Right. Is it the beginning of the end step? How about now? 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 All right. Uh, instead of uh, faithless looting, we have faithless salvaging. Which for one and a red is discard a card, then draw a card, rebound. And just a quick summary of rebound. Rebound is if you if you cast this spell from your hand, exile it as it resolves at the beginning of your next upkeep. You may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. The ability says discard a card, then draw a card. If you have no cards in hand, when Faithless Salvaging resolves, you're still going to draw a card. Okay, then it's going to you know exile to rebound. Casting this card again with the rebound trigger is optional. So if you 
have a good card in your hand that you don't want to get rid of, you can choose not to exile, or sorry, choose not to cast Faithless Salvaging. If you make that choice, it's going to stay in exile. Faithless Salvaging is going to stay in exile. And then the last reminder is spells with rebound that don't resolve are not exiled. So if someone counters your Faithless Salvaging, it's going to go to the graveyard instead of uh, the exile. Hmm. All right. And there you go. Well, that makes me furious. It does it now. (laughs) So Fury. Fury is three red red. Creature elemental incarnation. It's a three three. It's got double strike. When Fury enters the battlefield, it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers. Evoke. Exile a red card from your hand. So you divide the damage when the trigger is put on the stack, not as it resolves. Um, and each target must get at least one damage. You can't declare a target and then say nothing happens so to I it. Can't, you gotta get I it. can't declare, like, it's going to target these 15 things, and only four of them are going to get one damage, the other the other 11 just going to get That nothing. is not how math works, unfortunately. Not in this game. Pretty sure that's how math works. No, it doesn't. No. No, no. No, no. <laughs> Zero plus four <laughs> no. is still four. We're just, it's too much. It's too much for me to handle. That's not how it works. <laughs> okay. Give it, give each, give each creature something. Give it one, give it one at least. Um, if some of the targets are illegal when the, when the ability goes to resolve, the original division still applies. Um, if you somehow copy this triggered ability, you need to keep the same number of targets and divisions. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, you can stack the evoke, sack trigger, or the damage trigger however you like. Because both Evoke is going to cause you to sacrifice the creature and Fury, they're both when enters the battlefield triggers. So you can do one or the other first. Probably not going to matter, but again, we're judges and we just talk about what is possible and not necessarily what matters. Yeah, I don't care if it's good. I just want to know if you can do it. All right. Yeah. We had Karth, the lion, and now we have Garth, one eye. Uh, so Garth One Eye is Wooburg, white, blue, black, red, green, for a legendary creature, human wizard five five. Has this ability? You've heard about it. You've seen it online. You've probably watched YouTube videos talking about, it. <laughs> you know, blah blah blah. Wizards is doing away with the reserve list. Bah, I want tokens. Okay, uh, it's tap. Choose a card name that hasn't been chosen from among. Disenchant, Brain Geyser, Terror, Sheevan Dragon, Regrowth, and the Big Daddy Black Lotus. Oh boy. Create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cast the copy. You still have to pay its costs. So this is this is one of those cards that seems really easy, like in you know, make a copy of a Sheevan Dragon. Okay, yeah, sure. Then you gotta figure out, well, from a rule standpoint, how does the rules know what a Sheevan Dragon looks like? Like, normally when we copy something, we're able to, like, point to an object that's in the game and say, I'm going to make one of those. This is, it's not a thing. So, how does one make a copy of Sheevan Dragon? According to the release notes, it just, it's going to tell you, the rules are going to tell you to check the oracle text. Call a judge, ask for the oracle text. I think we all know what the, what the Black Lotus is, you know, the oracle text is. But yeah. So resolving copies of permanent spells, so in this particular case, the Sheevan Dragon and the Black Lotus are going to become tokens as they enter the battlefield. 
These tokens are not considered to have been created. So effects that care when you create a token, they are going to whiff on the Sheevan Dragon and the Black Lotus created with Garth One-Eye. When Garth's ability resolves, you have to choose a card name. You don't have to cast it, but you gotta choose it. And if you don't cast the copy, that name will still will be unavailable for later activations. Okay, so if you tap it and name Terror and then don't cast Terror, next go round, you can't tap it and name Terror. It was created in Exile, state-based actions removed it when you didn't cast it, it's just gone. If you've chosen all the card names already, you can still tap it. You just won't do anything. You've already named all the cards. But you go, I want to make Black Lotuses every turn. Because really, who doesn't? If you, Don't we all? Yeah. If you blink it or exile it and then bring it back to the battlefield, somehow you just make it change zones, it's going to reset. So you get to start naming cards again. All right. So now here's a here's a thing. If you copy the activated ability with Battle Mage Bracers or Illusionist Bracers, you're still choosing a card name and it still has to be a new one. Okay. So, yeah, because the, the choosing of the name happens on resolution of the ability. So copying copying the ability, okay, it's, it's there, but then when it comes time to choose, you're choosing something that hasn't previously been chosen. So you can't, like, copy the ability and get two black low tie. <laughs> no double dipping. Yep, all that set up just so I could say low tie. It was good. Yeah. I'm glad. Lo- Lotum. Lotuses. <laughs> All right, next up we've got Glimpse of Tomorrow, which is a sorcery with Suspend 3 for Red Red. Um, Shuffle all permanents you own into your library. Then reveal that many cards from the top of your library. Put all non-aura permanent cards revealed this way onto the battlefield. Then do the same for aura cards. Then put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So it's a suspend warp, warp world. Um, and yeah. the notes here just say, ugh. Yeah, at least it's just for you. <laughs> at least it's yeah, just warp for you. Warp world did everybody. Ugh. ugh. <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's what happens when Glimpse resolves. Count the number of permanents you own. Shuffle them into your library. Reveal the cards from the top equal to the number you counted. Put all non-aura permanents onto the battlefield. Then put all auras onto the battlefield this can get around Shroud. Um, everything else is put on the bottom. Yep. So, side note, tokens count as permanents when counting, and if a permanent leaves the battlefield but ends up in another zone, like a commander, it was still counted. Um, any triggers that happen when a creature leaves the battlefield or enters the battlefield wait until they wait until Glimpse is done resolving before they go on the stack. Active player, then non-active yeah. player order. Yeah, you're map. gonna have a lot of you're gonna have a lot of triggers. Probably, you know, my creatures that have enter the battlefield trigger. You might have, you know, whenever a creature enters the battlefield triggers. So they're gonna go on the stack and act active, non-active player order. So do you get why it does all the non-aura permanents and then the aura permanents second? Oh, let's see. It doesn't. I mean, I assume the auras like need something to do something to. Yeah, they need to, I mean, auras need to attach to something. So if they all came into play at the same time, the auras have to attach to a thing that's already on the battlefield. And Glimpse of Tomorrow just wiped everything away from the battlefield. There's nothing there. Yeah, so you got to put all the crap down. And then now you've got things to attach your, your auras to. 
if the oars went out first, they would have imposter syndrome and they would be sad and then they would leave. And no one wants that. Okay, grist the hunger tide. Grist. Yes, for one green and a black is legendary planeswalker Grist. Three comes into play with three loyalties. Has this, has this uh, little bit of text that's kind of got a lot of people upset. As long as Grist of the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it's a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types. And then it's got plus one, create a 1-1 black green insect creature token, then mill a card. If, if an insect card is milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Grist and repeat this process. Okay. Minus two. You may sacrifice a creature. If you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker. You need a minus five. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. All right. Here's the thing that's upsetting people. Grist can be your commander because they're making oh a God. rules change that says this uh, this ability here that's making it a 1-1 insect creature is going to work before the game begins. So it, it functions during deck construction. So Grist is a creature, is a legendary creature when you are building your deck. You know, when when I, on the day this got spoiled, I hadn't seen it yet. And I just saw, I just saw a, a status or an update on, from someone on Twitter that just said, said something like, yes, it can be your commander. I'll explain why later. And I just knew I was in for a treat when I read those spoilers. <laughs> right. So anywhere except the battlefield, Grist is a legendary planeswalker creature. Grist insect. Once it's on the battlefield, it's no longer a creature. It's just a plane. It's just grist. Just grist. Um, anything that can Grissel. search for a creature or a planeswalker in a zone other than the battlefield can find grist. Search your library for a creature card. There's grist. Go get it. Go get a creature card from your graveyard. There's grist. <laughs> grist is like American Express. He's he's everywhere you want to be. Okay. You can find it with the birthing pod, or you could if birthing pod wasn't banned in modern. Or you could discard it to survival of the fittest, if survival of the fittest was legal in modern. Anyway, if Grist is no longer on the battlefield when the first ability resolves. Okay, so that's that's creating the insect tokens, milling a card, and keep going. If Grist is no longer on the battlefield when that first ability resolves, you're still going to create a 1-1 insect token. You're still going to mill. And if, the insect, and if an insect card is milled, even though you can't put a loyalty counter on Grist, you're still going to re- keep repeating the process. Okay? The second loyalty ability actually doesn't require a target on activation. It says, you may sacrifice a creature when you do destroy target creature or planeswalker. This sets up a reflexive trigger. So you minus two, then when it goes to resolve, you may sacrifice a creature. You don't got to. You could have just minus two Grist just for funsies. Or you have Karth out and minus one dim just for funsies. Just to psych Yeah, just to psych. When you do... Okay, so when you do sacrifice the creature, another trigger is going to happen. This is destroy target creature planeswalker. That's when you do the targeting. This is going to happen even if Grist is no longer on the battlefield. So if you minus two Grist, and that's what does Grist in. I'm having fun, I'm having fun saying Grist. Let's okay. Don't stop on yeah, my behalf. I'm, I'm, you, no, you keep just, going. I'm just. I was looking at the instructions. I got or the the notes. I got lost where I was in the in the notes. Okay, so let's assume that Grist has five loyalty counters and you ultimate Grist, ultimate Grist. So again, the way it works is you're paying the cost. You're removing the five counters. The ability goes on the stack. State based actions are checked and cart Grist off to the graveyard. Well, Grist is Grist is in the graveyard. 
Chris likes being in the graveyard. When Chris is in the graveyard, Chris is an in, also an insect. Is a creature card in your graveyard. So when it says each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard, Grist is gonna count. Here to ruin your day one last little time before yep. he goes away yep. forever. Um, all right, so all things in moderation. Um, so moderation is one white blue for an enchantment. Um, you can't cast more than one spell each turn. Oof. Whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. God, can't cast more than one spell each turn. That's yeah. a bummer, but mm-hmm. all right. If you cast Moderation, you have cast at least one spell this turn, yeah. so its ability applies. So at least you get you get got. That's what you get for casting. Yeah. <laughs> also, it only triggers while on the battlefield, so you won't draw a card from it. Yep. So if you cast Moderation and that's the only card, the only spell you cast this turn, you don't even get a card then. Getting what you deserve. <laughs> you are getting what you deserve. Good things come to those who are judicious in their appetite. That's a horrible quote. Flavor text. I know. I'm sitting here like trying to parse what that means. Good things come Good to, things those, come who to judici- those who are judicious in their yeah, appetites. Yeah, what it means is, is just nibble. Oh. Just nibble. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm I'm hedonism bot. I don't believe in that. <laughs> All right. Hedonism so, bot? Oh, from uh, from Futurama. Right. You're just <laughs> pl- plucking the grapes and throwing them in your mouth. Okay. That's me. I, yeah, I, I don't know anything about white-blue moderation. Absolutely not. Um... <laughs> So, how this works with things like Rebound and Suspend. If it's your first spell, cool, you can cast it. But if you have two Rebound spells going off on the same upkeep, you will only be able to cast one of them and nothing else for the rest of the turn. So, use your moderation wisely. Alright. Nykthos Paragon. This, This guy's baller. Okay, for four white, white, you get an enchantment creature, human soldier, that's also a four, six. Whenever you gain life, you may put that many plus one, plus one counters on each creature you control. Do this only once each turn. (laughs) Okay, so this is a may ability. Okay, because you only get to do this once each turn, you can be a little choosy. So, like, maybe... You gain, you play a land that's like, when it comes into play, gain a life. And you're like, no, 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 I don't want to, I can only use this ability once per turn. I don't want to waste it on this. I want to save it for when I swing with my big 5-5 five, five life-linking angel cat demon. I don't know. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, my teenage, my, my mutant ninja turtle. So, do this only once each turn refers to the putting the counters on the creature from from the ability. Okay. And it only refers to this creature's trigger. So if I have multiple paragons out, each have their own do-this-only-once restriction. Okay. Now, here's one of the things where we start getting into getting into life gain and things get a, things get a little funky with, uh, with lifelink. All right. Each creature dealing damage with lifelink is a separate life-gaining event. All right. This will cause multiple triggers to go on the stack. If multiple triggers do end up on the stack, only one of them's going to end up doing it because once you choose the one time you're going to do it each turn, then the other then the other triggers aren't going to do anything. So pick the first, the second, the third, whatever. Oh, you're going to pick. So that's if I have two creatures with lifelink attack Sama. I'm going to get two life. I'm going to get two triggers from Nykthos Paragon. Okay. Let's let's say I have um I have two five fives with lifelink. Okay, 
I'm not going to get, because even, even though I gain 10 life, I'm not going to be able to get 10 counters on all my creatures. I'm going to be able to pick which creature, because I'm going to get a trigger for five and then a trigger for five. Okay. All right. However, if my single creature with lifelink, so my one five five attacks and is blocked by three of three of Sama's bear cubs. So I do two to one bear cub, two to another bear cub, and one to one to the third bear cub. That is going to be uh that's a single creature with lifelink. That's gonna be a single life gain event, single trigger, and it's gonna trigger for five. Okay. Is that clear as mud? I think so. Okay. I, think I got this. Good. We're up to O's. Into the O's. Well, looks like we're out of time. <laughs> oh, all right. Join us. Uh, like... <laughs> join us in two weeks where we complain about conferences. Uh, until then, judgecast at gmail.com. That could just always be our next episode, just on deck. <laughs> just complaining about conferences. Just anytime. It could always <laughs> it could always sneak up on you. Just stay on your toes one day. One day. We're gonna just complain. Just that's the whole episode, just complaining. <laughs> um, but anyway, the next card actually is out of time. It's one white white. For an enchantment. And when out of time enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, then phase them out until out of time leaves the battlefield. Put a time counter on out of time for each creature phased out this way. And it's got vanishing. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a time counter from this enchantment. When the last is removed, sacrifice it. Huh. <laughs> Good old phasing. Put a coffee cup over it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Out of time alters the phasing rule, keeping the creatures phased out. What yep. do you mean? What What do we mean here? Okay. So <laughs> generally speaking, when... Alters the phasing rule. Yeah. So generally speaking, something... When things have phased out at the beginning of... And it's not even... A, it's not a trigger. So I'm saying at the beginning. But it's during the untap step. The very first thing that happens is all creatures that are phased out phase in, and all oh, creatures, all creatures with phasing that haven't that are on the battlefield phase out. Okay, this out of time says, mm, nah, we're going off roading a bit. We're off roading a bit. You don't, you don't, you don't get to phase in until I say so. Right, Simon doesn't say. So interesting. Okay. If out of time happens to be a creature when its enter the battlefield trigger resolves, it will phase out along with all other creatures. The last counter will never be removed, so everything stays phased out forever. Yeah. That's bleak. This is different than other cards with similar templates because phasing out doesn't cause a creature to leave the battlefield. Yeah, so there's this this whole thing with uh with certain cards like Banisher Priest, where it's like Exile, you know, when this enters the battlefield, exile a card that stays exile. That card stays exiled for as long as Banisher Priest is on the battlefield. If Banisher Priest is removed from the battlefield before that ability starts, okay, you you basically have an effect with the duration, right? That the duration ended before the effect began, and the the game just says if that happens, no, 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 you don't you don't do it. You don't even start. Like if the end if the end happens before the beginning, then that goes against my understanding of of linear time. So yeah, we're not going right. to do it's that. some timey wimey wibbly wobbly <laughs> stuff, right? Right. Um, or some sort of Vorlon quote, or 
you know, pick your pick your sci-fi time travel reference. This, however, is it's talking about phase them out until out of time leaves the battlefield. Well, phasing out isn't leaving the battlefield, right? So if if out of time happens to be a creature, it's going to phase out, but it's still on the battlefield. But because it's phased out, it's never gonna the the vanishing stuff. The the it never gets any time counters. It the vanishing stuff never happens. There's nothing to make out of time leave the battlefield because it's phased out. It never left the battlefield, and it never left our hearts. Yeah. So one one of the things that we, we've we've laughed about for years. So the way phasing works is you just like take a bowl and just on. The, just put, just turn it upside down, and just put it over the card. There, it's phased out. And to phase it back in, you pull it off, or just a mug. Move. I think yeah. we, we we've used a mug. We've we've talked about making mugs of phasing. But you just take your mug, turn it upside down, put it on the card. It's now phased out. Everything else is still the same. It's just it's not there. It is what it isn't. All right. Since you actually ended up doing most of uh, out of time, I'll I'll go ahead and do Power Depot. Okay. Power Depot is an artifact land. Um, Power Depot. Oh, hang on. There's yeah. there's one more note for out of time. Well, go ahead. Um, so if you cast out of time when there are no creatures, you won't get any time counters. So without any time cool. counters, the last counter can never be removed. So out of time is just going to hang out on the battlefield like that one awkward senior that graduated from high school and then just kept coming back just to hang out. Still wearing his Letterman jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Fringe. Yeah, it's just it's just hang out and not do anything. It's a lot All of right. people from my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next up we have Power Depot, which is an artifact land. Um, Power Depot enters the battlefield tapped. So tap it. You can add a colorless. Tap it. You can also tap it and add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. And then it's got modular one. So if Power Depot becomes a creature, it will get the power toughness boost from its counter. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the uh, the mana produced by the last activate the the activated ability uh, can't be spent to activate abilities of artifact cards in other zones, such as if you had like an artifact with cycling or maybe an artifact creature with uh, with an unearth cost. Oh no, that's interesting. I would not have yeah. guessed that. Yep. So, because this is a whole thing, it says activate abilities of artifacts, where we where we talked about for protection in last episode. Remember how it's like when it talks about creatures and artifacts and lands, it's talking about things that are on the battlefield, right? Things that exist out on the battlefield. Yeah. Right. Right. And so you'll notice this one says spend this mana to cast artifact spells, which is the artifact spells that are on the stack, or activate abilities of artifacts which are on the battlefield. That doesn't make sense. All right. Got Road to Ruin, which is an aftermath card. So the main part is two and a green for Road. It's an instant search library for a basic land card. Put it on the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. And then the aftermath half is Ruin for one red, red sorcery. Uh, Ruin deals damage. I'm turning my head sideways. Ruin deals damage to target creature equal to the number of lands you control. All right. So we talked about aftermath last episode, but we didn't talk about split cards in general, so I was just going to use this opportunity to talk a little bit about split cards. When you put a split card on the stack, it's only got the characteristics of the half you're casting. The other half is ignored. 
So if you cast the aftermath half, I did it. It took me an episode, but I got better. If you cast the aftermath half, uh, ruin the it's it's a red spell on the stack. Road, which is green, is kind of not there. It's just ignored. Each split card is a single card. If you discard Road Ruin, Road to Ruin, you're discarding one card. You're not discarding two. It's like, oh no, Road's a card, Ruin's a card. I discarded two cards. No, you didn't. One piece of uh, paper. Yep. Each split card has two names. If an effect instructs you to choose a card name, you can choose one or the other, but not both. Okay, so I can choose Road or Ruin, but I can't choose Road to Ruin. And then uh, when not on the stack... It's got both characteristics. Road Ruin is a red-green card with a mana value of six that is both an instant and a sorcery. So anything that says, like, search your library for an instant card, put it in your hand, you can get Road. You can get Road to Ruin. If something says, search your library for a sorcery card, put it in your hand, you can get Road to Ruin. That's that's split cards in a nutshell. These are neat. I re- so something I remember... Um... Is this may come as a surprise to probably none of you, but I have very little patience for nonsense. And anytime I'd pull up one of these cards on my phone and turn my phone to try to read it, and the image would just rotate the other direction, <laughs> I think it took years off my life. It just <laughs> something about that just feels so insulting. <laughs> it just feels personal. I do not doubt that you are not alone in that just absolute irritation. It deals like 10 points of psychic damage It just when it happens. I don't know. 10 points of psychic. If it was D, it's the equivalent of taking one hit point of damage in real life. It is. It really is. Yeah. It just, you can feel your energy sapping away. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next up we have Skyblade's Boon for one and a white. It is an enchantment aura. Um, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has flying. For two and a white, you can return Skyblade's Boon to its owner's hand. Activate only if Skyblade's Boon is on the battlefield or in your graveyard. So if you activate the ability and before it resolves, Skyblade's Boon is put into a different zone, the ability won't be able to find it when it resolves. Um, Things do become different objects once they change zones. Well, I think this is just where it's it's looking. So Sky... It it is a different yeah it is a different object so it's somewhere else yeah can't find it can't find it all right send out the search party did you know that bees and dogs can smell fear me too bees and dogs can smell fear all right there's there's a lot of notes in the release notes about this but it's pretty much all about proliferate so smell fear is for one in a green um it is a sorcery that just says proliferate. I'll explain what proliferate is. Just choose any number of permanents and or players, then give each another counter of each kind already there. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll dig into that in just a second. Uh, and then target creature you control fights up to one target creature you don't control. Okay, so first note, you gotta have two targets for this spell. You gotta have a creature, your creature you control and a creature you don't control, and they gotta fight. You can't just... The note here is like you can't just smell fear to proliferate, <laughs> which is not a sentence I expected to utter. But if you want to proliferate, you gotta have these two targets. You can't just cast this to try and proliferate. If one of the targets becomes illegal, no fight is going to occur, but you're still going to proliferate. Now, proliferate is something that it says choose any number of permanents and or players. So any any 
creatures on the battlefield, uh, players that you've got, Power Depot, you know, with its modular one, with its counter for modular one. And you have the ability to give for each counter type on that permanent or player, you get to add an additional one. Okay. So you don't have to choose any permanents at all because it says choose any number. So you don't have to. And you can you can make it one sided. You can give yourself all the good counters. You know, add add plus one to all your good counters on you and your permanents. And you can give your opponent an additional all the bad counters. You know the the uh, the poison counters and the minus one minus ones. And it's all good. All right. This is another card that I really enjoy. This next one. Well, in the art we have another squirrel, so it stays on theme. The next card yeah. is so shiny. For two and a blue, it is an enchantment aura, enchant creature. When So Shiny enters the battlefield, if you control a token, tap Enchanted Creature, then scry two. Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So this is an intervening if trigger. Oh my gosh. Yep. There so it you, is. There's the yep. if. Yep. So what that what that means is you gotta have the token. When the trigger, the trigger's not going to go on the stack if you don't control a token. That if condition has to be met. Yeah, that that if condition is checked when the tar- when the trigger goes on the stack and when it resolves. So you can't like put it on the stack and then make a token, and you can't put the trigger have a token like have a treasure or a clue or something like that or a food or whatever. Put it on the you know put the trigger on the stack, then sack the food token. And then expect this the, the the trigger to resolve. It'll it'll go like, well, I I had a, a token, but the squirrel, which is just like holding its little, it's it's just enraptured by the little shiny bauble. And if the bauble goes away, you know, it gets its attention back. So you're not gonna get that. You're not gonna get that uh, trigger. That's a really funny metaphor. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cute. Yep. So, yeah, um, if So Shiny is somehow itself a token, it's enter the battlefield will trigger. Will it? Yeah, because it's the second it enters the battlefield, you control a token. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you do. Yeah. Um, it says here you, that you suspect that there will be people that collect foils of these. Why is that? Because. Because it's so shiny. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. it's so shiny. Also, I suspect there's, there's probably going to be like a few Firefly fans out there that are going to do something with it. That would be cute. It is. It's adorable. I, I'm not a f- super big fan of the squirrel theme, but the, the squirrel, like the wide-eyed squirrel being completely enraptured by this button coin thing is kind of adorable. Living his best squirrel life. <laughs> yep. All right. The next card we're going to talk about is Subtlety. Uh, Subtlety is two blue blue for a creature, for a 3-3 elemental incarnation creature. It's got flash and flying and a triggered ability and evoke exile blue card from your hand. The triggered ability says when Subtlety enters the battlefield, choose up to up to one target creature spell or planeswalker spell. Its owner puts it on the top or bottom of the library. All right. So the ETB trigger is only going to target spells on the stack, not a permanent on the battlefield. Okay. It's a creature spell or planeswalker spell on the stack. Um, a spell that's put into its owner's library doesn't resolve. Because, you know, why would it? But it's also not countered, okay? It just doesn't resolve. Which is 
kind of effectively like it's being countered, unless there's cards that care about like whenever you counter a spell this way. That didn't happen. But the spell doesn't, regardless, the spell doesn't resolve. This allows you to effectively counter uncounterable spells by just making it go away. Now, it says its owner puts puts it, the spell, on the top or bottom of their library. Well, who gets to decide? Do you, the, the caster of subtlety, or does the owner of the cards? Well, it's the owner of the spell. that They get to decide whether they put it on the bottom or the top of the library. And yes, you as the opponent, you get to know which they did. No, that was that was a question back in the early days. It was like, do I do I have to do I have to tell my opponent which 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 I did? Yeah. 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 All right. Next All up. Right. Next up we have Sword of Art Yeah. Next up we have Sword of Hearth and Home. It is for three, um, three generic artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus two and has protection from green and from white. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, exile up to one target creature you own. Then search your library for a basic land card. Put both cards onto the battlefield under your control, then shuffle. Equip for two. When the second ability is put on the stack, if you choose a target creature and then when the ability goes to resolve, that creature is not there anymore. The whole ability won't resolve and you won't look for a land. So if you really need that land and think your opponent has instant speed removal, be very careful. Were you... Okay, here and <laughs> the next card is Thrasta McNasty. <laughs> Thrasty McNasty. Thrasta, Thrasta McNasty. Uh, Thrasta Tempest Roar. <laughs> I gotta imagine. So I, I DM and I tell you, sometimes I'll come up with an NPC name that I think is kind of clever and then the players immediately <laughs> do something to start making fun of it. So I kind of feel the pain of this, but yeah, Thrasta McNasty. Thrasta Tempest Roar. Ten green green. It's a legendary creature dinosaur. It's a 7-7. This spell costs three less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. It has Trample. It has Haste. It has Hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. And it has Trample over Planeswalkers. Yes! All right, I'm going to save this for just a second. But this spell casts three less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. That's not each other spell you cast this turn. That's just spells cast. So if you cast a spell, your opponent casts a spell, in response, you get six, you're getting six off. That's McNasty. But let's. we know what Trample does. We know what Haste does. We know what Hexproof is. Trample over Planeswalkers. All right. So this seems really, really simple, right? The reminder text. This creature can deal excess combat damage to the controller of a planeswalker uh, it's attacking. So I attack Grist, and Thrasta gets to gets to hit Grist, and then, you know, the excess damage gets to, gets to go on over to Grist. All right. Yep. Seems fine. Just like Trample. Trample over planeswalkers can take into account damage being assigned to a planeswalker from other sources. So if I... Grist has five counters, and I attack with a Bear Cub and Thrasta. Bear Cub's going to deal two to Grist. Thrasta is going to do three or more to Grist. And then the excess is going to trample over. Okay, cool. Trample and trample over Planeswalkers works together. So if Thrasta is attacking my my five loyalty Grist, or if uh, Samus Thrasta is attacking... 
my five loyalty counter Grist, and I use a Bear Cub to block as I do, uh, Sam is going to be able to do two to the Bear Cub. Uh, I'm sorry, I should have had Grist at four loyalty counters for this. So if Thrasta is attacking uh, Grist that has four loyalty counters, and I throw a Bear Cub in the way, obviously I didn't change the creature that I was using to block, because you got to have Bear Cub as the example. I throw Bear Cub in the way. Thrasta is going to deal two to the Bear Cub. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to trample over onto the Planeswalker, which is going to do four. And then I've still got one one left of excess damage to trample over onto the player. Okay. Everything seems fine and intuitive so far. Okay. I love now, here's, this. Here's where things get weird. There are ways to make Planeswalkers into creatures that are still Planeswalkers. Now, normally we're talking like Gideon. And Gideon's like, ah, it's indestructible, and damage dealt to Gideon is prevented, and all that good stuff. But eh, there's other ways that you can make planeswalkers into into creatures that are still planeswalkers. So what happens when Thrasta attacks a planeswalker, but that planeswalker becomes a creature and also blocks? Ah, um, yeah. So in that particular case, assuming that no other creatures are in this in this equation, because we've already made it more complicated, uh, no other creatures are blocking Thrasta, and the and the blocking creature has no damage on it. Thrasta's controller must assign at least as much damage to that creature Planeswalker equal to the toughness or the number of loyalty counters it has, whichever is greater. So if my four loyalty, if my let's say if my five loyalty Planeswalker becomes a four four creature and blocks Thrasta. In order to trample over to the player, I've got to do the greater of the four toughness and the five loyalties, which would be the five loyalty. Okay. Well, that's no fun. What if I want to just do the lesser one? Why can't I just do the... Yeah. Yeah. Now, now here's, here's one of the other things. That's if the Planeswalker was blocking. We can take it a little simpler. If... If Thrasta is attacking a Planeswalker and the Planeswalker is also somehow a creature and doesn't block, then Thrasta deals excess damage based on the Planeswalker loyalty, not the toughness. So you kind of ignore the creature half or the creature side unless the creature Planeswalker gets into a tussle with Thrasta. Now, this is this right here is kind of an example of why we wait for the release notes to do this type of episode because I don't think I would have been able to come up with that as an answer of if if the planeswalker is a creature and is blocking for itself how you figure out trample over trample and trample over planeswalkers i wouldn't have even been able to guess yeah when this when this card first got spoiled i think i i brought it up to you and was like what happens and we were both like uh (laughs) i'm not sure there's a rule for this so um, there definitely wasn't but it's just like even there like if it's just trample, yeah, sure, okay, fine. Trample makes sense. I can figure right. out trample. But we've seen trample a few times. Trample yeah. over planeswalkers, though. Now that's spicy. All right. So next up we have Turok Dread Cantor. Cantor? Cantor? Anyway. Cantor. Cantor. Jane, Jane the hero of Cantor. <laughs> so Superman's... Turok the hero of Cantor. <laughs> what? No, that's Jane. Or uh, uh, Superman City in the Bottle, Cantor? Uh-huh. Anyway, for one in a black, you have a legendary creature, human cleric. 
for it, it is a two one. Um, kicker for black black, you may pay an additional black black as you cast this spell. Protection from white. Whenever an opponent discards a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Turok Dread Canter. When Turok enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, target opponent discards two cards at random. So yeah, so, yeah that's some neat stuff. Um, if an opponent discards a card with madness, though. So yep. what happens? Um, trigger abilities are put on the stack in turn order, starting with the player whose turn it is. For example, if an opponent discards a card with Madness during your turn, the Madness trigger will resolve before Turok's ability can put a plus one plus one counter on it. If they discard it during their turn, Turok's ability puts a plus one plus one counter on it before they can cast the spell. Yep. Order matters. Fun. Yeah, yep. whose turn it is matters. Yep. I, I love the fact that this is basically a target opponent discards two cards at random. That's basically him to him to Torok, which is sweet. Which set was that from? It was wasn't that like the only good card in whatever uh, set it was yeah. in? Yeah, uh, Fallen Empires. Fallen Empires. I I remember that. All right. So next, we're going to talk about Urza Saga, the card that people have already been talking about for the last month. So Urza Saga is a saga. Uh, with three chapter abilities. The first chapter ability is Urza's Saga gains tap, add colorless to your mana pool. Second chapter ability is Urza's Saga gains two tap, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. And three, the third chapter ability is, is search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one and then put it on uh, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. All right, so this is an enchantment land. Urza Saga is a land, so it can only be played as a land. You cannot cast it as a spell. Urza Saga gains an ability from both its first and its second chapters, chapter abilities. It keeps those abilities for as long as it's on the battlefield. Okay? Uh, so you're going to play Urza Saga. You're going to immediately be able to tap it for colorless. While resolving the the third chapter ability, you can only find a card with an actual mana cost of zero or one. We are not looking for a mana value of zero or one. Ah. Oh. Okay. So you can't find a card with a mana cost of blue, okay, or a mana cost of X, or no mana cost, like as in the case of the suspend cards. Asmagora. Yep. Even though Urza Saga is, is a land, it's also still a saga, so it's going to get sacrificed after its last chapter ability resolves. Alright? And if Urza Saga loses all of its chapter abilities, but it's still a saga, you know, maybe like due to a card like Blood Moon, it's going to be immediately sacrificed. Oh. Well, I'll be darned. Yep. Uh, So... Yeah, because there is uh, there's a rule about sagas and not having any uh, having chapter counters on it equal to it's the number of chapter abilities. So it's got zero chapter abilities on it now, and it's going to have zero or more counters on it, which sagas say, no, nah, it goes bye bye then. And off it goes. Yeah. So. Yeah, Blood Moon. Blood Moon's not going to remove the fact that it's a it's a saga. Um, Blood Moon modifies the land subtype to to mountain. Okay, uh, which I think in this particular case Urza's 
is the land subtype. Because if you remember, like, Urza's, Urza's mine, Urza's power plant, Urza's is a land subtype. Oh, yeah, I guess it is. That makes yeah, Urza's, Urza's is a subtype. Power plant is a subtype. So that card's got two subtypes. So you would change it so it would become Enchantment Land Mountain Saga. <laughs> All right. Although Urza Saga has the Urza's land type, it doesn't interact with Urza's tower, Urza's mine, Urza's power plant, other than just they're they're all of type Urza's, but nothing actually cares about that. For now. For now. Don't until modern join us in Modern Horizons 5. We're out of ideas. <laughs> All right, so here's another interesting land, Yavamaya Cradle of Growth, which is a legendary land. Each land is a forest in addition to its other land types. Um, Yavamaya is not a forest when not on the battlefield. Um, land cards not on the battlefield are also not forests when Yavamaya is on the battlefield. Yeah, so the cards, lands in your hand aren't forests just because Yavamaya is on the battlefield. That's not something I would have even thought up to ask. But yeah, the, huh, good question. Huh, good answer. <laughs> good conversation. <laughs> All right, because the card says, in addition to its other land types, that basically means you just add forest, add tap, add green to the card text. Yep. Easy peasy. Yep. If it said other stuff, if it just said each land is a forest. Well, no, that's different. It is very different. Which would be kind of weird because it would actually... Oh, so let's see here. You would make each land a forest and cause them to lose all of the abilities. So Yavamaya would lose its ability to make each land a forest. Right? Oh, that's recursive. Yeah, uh, I mean, you still only apply this stuff once, but... Well, stop yeah. it. <laughs> it. It's just it's just weird. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. All right. So that's all the new to modern stuff. So let's... There are... Four, yeah, we're almost done. There are four new to modern reprints that we want to talk about. First one is Chainer, Nightmare Adept, for two black red. It's a legendary creature human minion. Uh, it's a 3-2, discard a card. You may cast a creature spell from your graveyard this turn. Activate this only once, once each turn. And whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, if you didn't cast it from your hand, it gains haste until your next turn. Okay. With the first ability, you don't have to choose the spell you're going to cast uh, when it resolves. You just discard the card, and it's just the ability just gives you permission to cast a spell. You can just do it. You do have to follow the normal timing restrictions, though, and you still have to pay for any costs. Okay, and then the last ability will trigger if a creature enters the battlefield from somewhere other than your hand. Or okay, actually, let me read this. Let me read this ability right here, and I'm gonna put some emphasis. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, if you didn't cast it from your hand, it gains haste until end of turn. Okay, so that means if it if it entered the battlefield, like if you didn't cast it at all, it just entered the battlefield, it's going to gain haste. Also, if you did cast it, but not from your hand, like you cast from exile or cast from the graveyard, it's going to get haste also. Kind of neat. All right. All right. Next up, we have Cursed Totem, which is two for two generic for an artifact. Activated abilities of creatures can't be activated. Ooh, stops them in the tracks. So Cursed mm -hmm. Totem doesn't stop activated. Uh, eh. 
Cursed Totem doesn't stop activated abilities from creatures not on the battlefield. So cycling, unearth, foretell, those kinds of things. Can't stop those. Um, this does stop mana abilities, though. Um, just in case you need a reminder, activated abilities have a colon in the text. So keep an eye out for that. Activated abilities of non-creature permanence, vehicles, Mishra's Factory, can still be activated, but once they are creatures, they will be affected by Cursed Totem. All right. Now, now we're going to talk about a card that, man, sometimes players ask questions about this card that just makes me angry. Okay. The card is Milliken. All right. For two mana, it's a zero one artifact creature construct, and you tap mill a card, add colorless to your mana pool. Okay. If you activate Milliken's ability while casting the casting a spell, you can't choose to rewind it once you see the card that was put into your graveyard. So there's this super infrequently used rule. It's dealing with like handling illegal actions. So normally, normally during play when you're playing, you can start to tap permanence for mana and then decide not to, and we allow some degree of takesy backsies. But with Milliken, you can't undo it once you see the card. So you're gonna tap it. You gotta activate it. Tap mill a card. That's the cost. Add the colorless. So you gotta tap, put a card in. Once you see that card. No, that's it's, it's done. You're going to have that one mana. So what this means is, uh, uh, or sorry, there's specifically a rule, uh, 723.1, that says players may not reverse actions that moved cards to a library, moved cards from a library to another zone other than the stack, caused the library to be shuffled, or caused cards from the library to be revealed. Okay. Basically, you're revealing information, or you're changing the information that's that's available. And once that happens... You can't, like, undo undo that. And so normally, like, if you start to cast, let's say you start to cast a spell, and you tap a bunch of lands, and then you realize that, oh, it's a five-mana spell, and I only have four mana. We just let you, you know, untap those lands and, and go on. Like, MTGO lets you start tapping lands and, un, you know, untap them and, and stuff like that. This, however, when you tap it and mill, it's done. Like, that 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 can't be undone. Like so many things on the internet, you can't unsee that. <laughs> yeah, and the game needs to be able to handle honest mistakes that are happen that happen when players do things like that. So basically, if you start to cast a spell, tap Milliken, Mill, and realize you don't have enough mana to cast it, we can't undo that mana activation when we rewind the casting of the spell. The game needs to be able to handle honest mistakes, but you've you've gained there's information gained now. Now, if you're one of these players that tries to turn a rule into handling illegal actions into some type of advantage. Like, you're you're deliberately starting to cast a spell that you know you can't cast so that you can mill a card and then say, oops, well, I didn't... I, I couldn't cast it, so I guess we're going to rewind actions. Okay, and then somehow untap Milliken and try again to cast a spell that you can't actually cast so that you get to mill another card and then play takes you back. No, if you're trying to if you're trying to do anything like that, if you're trying to abuse the rules for handling an illegal action, you know, um, then you're knowingly performing illegal actions for a benefit. And we have a definition for that. What does that sound like? It's, it's okay. So I did an illegal action. I knew that it was an illegal action. I did it for an advantage. Like, that seems to meet the criteria for something. 
and maybe like an infraction procedure guide. What could that be? Oh, it's cheating. Oh, that's the one. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So n- no, no. Yep. All right. Uh, and then finally, one last one last quirk of this card. If an effect allows you to look at the top card of your library, okay, like a uh, uh, Oracle of Moldiah. There we go. Milliken's Milliken's mana ability. Um, if you activate Milliken's mana ability and mill the top card of your library, that new top card of your library is going to stay hidden until you're done casting the spell. And then it'll flip over and then you can look at it. All right, so last on our list is Patriarch's Bidding. For three black black, we have a sorcery. Each player chooses a creature type. Each player returns all creature cards of, of the type chosen, this way, from their graveyard to the battlefield. So the active player chooses the creature type first, then it goes in turn order. Um, other players can choose a type that's already been chosen. That's fine. Nothing weird there. Um, you must choose a creature type. You can't choose legendary or snow, because I believe those are super types, right? Yep. Yep. And you can't choose vehicle. Why not? Because <laughs> that's not a creature type. <laughs> oh, that's no fun. Um, you can't get back tribal instance because um, we don't typically put instance on the battlefield. <laughs> Or you can't do tribal enchantments either, because it returns all creature cards of the type. Oh. So so even if I choose the creature type of goblin, I'm not going to get my tribal enchantment goblin back. Man, it'd be cool if you could, but yeah. Oh, well. Yep. Wishful thinking. Yep. Which is probably also a card. <laughs> is it? If not, it probably will be one day. Wishful thinking. Let's see if there's a card called wishful thinking. There's not. Get on that, Watsy. Yeah, one day. All right. So this has been a supersized episode. I hope I'm going to be able to edit it and get it up before Friday. But that's the goal. If I'd told you I'd forgot to hit record, would you kill me? Yeah, um, You didn't forget to hit record. No, I didn't. Okay. I There I was a little not... bit of doubt in that assertion. <laughs> I would not do that to you. <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. I just thought it'd scare you a little bit. I... I would be like, all right, we're going to start over again. Uh, I've still got my recording, so you just have to listen to it and weave, weave, your, <laughs> weave your words in. Just go sit and talk to yourself in a corner for what you've done. Right, and then just make make sure my jokes make sense. Um. <laughs> all right, friends, that's our episode. Join us next time when we probably won't complain about conferences. So until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, I'm Samantha Har, and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep buying Nuts the Squirrels on eBay. (laughs) Do you want to do these notes? Come on and let's go play. I can't think of a rhyme. It's not the time. (laughs) Make it go away. (laughs) We used to have short episodes. (laughs) Now they're not. I wish I could tell you why.